you know, there's only two things in this world that scare me. One is prepubescent gym rats warming up on my project in front of me. You know, pad sniffers, smell like Skittles, small hands. And the other thing that scares me, lawyers. Nothing is more of a downer to your stoke than facing legal problems, and lawyers have made the whole thing more complicated than that 5-to-1 pulley system you used to haul Uncle Phil up that 5-7 on his birthday. But seriously, facing legal problems and finding a lawyer to help can be pretty gnarly. But Dan Markoff is here to help. Climber, lawyer, Enormacast fan, and partner at Atkins and Markoff, Dan has set up an email hotline to field your inquiries about any type of lawyer you might need. Family law, criminal, injury, bankruptcy, and a whole bunch of other arcane things that you never thought would happen to you right up until they did. Email climbinglawyer at gmail.com with inquiries. Dan knows this shit scares you too. Once again, that's climbinglawyer at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? you playing here? We're doing the... Uh Enormo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll say, you really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Hey folks, this episode is also brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, Maxim Ropes, and as usual, our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Go to defiantbean.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a discount on great coffee. All right, let's see if I can get this thing started again. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host, Chris Galoose. It is July 5th, about 12.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And since I am trying to go climbing today, despite the intense heat, I'm going to try to make this short. I'll be heading up to Landers International Climbing Festival next week, along with my sometimes intern, Chris Parker, as well as a few other people. And you should join us up there as well. It's always a good time. Good climbing. Nice place to be in the summer. Amazing town. Lander is very welcoming. And the climbing community is also very welcoming. You can camp for free in the park. Can't beat that. Anyway, more information and details at climbersfest.org. Hope to see you up there. Have a beer at the Lander Bar. Now, there's nothing else to report. I just want to thank everyone as usual for the donations, the support, the interest, the emails. I want to thank my sponsors. And if you want more information about the podcast or about how to help out, you can check it out at anormalcast.com. That's the website. There's some stuff going on over there. Have a look. A little bit of effort and time on your part really helps out. And the main thing is don't forget to tell your friends. Okay, on today's show, Cincinnati climber and musician and artist Chris O'Dub Hampton Chris is a very interesting and complicated guy, part provocateur, part mentor, part just straight up climber. Chris found climbing through a rather hard road and has arrived, at least for the moment, 
at a place of contentment and wisdom. A little bit of wisdom imparted on the show. I've interspersed a bunch of his music in the show, and you can find the full tracks and more music at odubmusic.com. And it's also linked at anormalcast.com. So if you like any of what you hear or just want to hear more, hear the full tunes that are posted up over there. Some of them are free. Some of them cost a little bit of money. But just uh, check out his website and click on music to find it. I'm sure he appreciates any of the interest in his stuff. So let's go ahead and get started. I'll see you guys in Lander. Some of y'all up there in Lander for the next show. That works. You're good. You can hear us both. Okay, I'm good. Cool. Um, all right. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and intro you. So this is. Uh, it turns out that the Dwayne Rally interview was the penultimate <clears throat> closet interview. Although this may be as well because I have two more days left and I might squeak another closet interview out of this whole thing. But I'd like to welcome Chris O'Dub Hampton to the closet here in Carbondale, all the way storming out of Cincinnati. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, you, I really appreciate you coming out. You've been climbing out in rifle for the last uh, three or four days, roasting. I've been falling out in rifle nice. for the last three or four days. Now, you did post something I saw on Facebook that you sent a Kurt Smith route, but I, did you post which one it was? I didn't. It was Vision Thing. Really? Yeah. Nice. Kurt's a good friend of mine. So oh, killer. I was psyched to to do a Kurt route. That was that was my first goal out there was to, mm-hmm. to do a Kurt Smith route. And that was, well, I mean, to walk into Rifle, I know you're a really good climber, don't get me wrong, but to walk into Rifle in a couple of days and do that route's pretty rad. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's rad because it's Kurt's route. That's yeah. that's what got me psyched on it to begin with. Now nice. I'm just like, okay, I'm, my skin's over it. I'm mm-hmm. I'm ready to move on. Well, you can take it down a notch. He's got some 512s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so That's where I'm headed tomorrow. Nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, and then you're on a road trip from, from Lander, and you also said that this is the first time you've had a big chunk of time off in quite a while yeah um i mean i've i've been in a career for a long time now so it's it's been since i was probably 13 uh that i've had more than 14 or 15 days in a row off work since so, you were 13 yeah that was uh 27 years 20 ago 26 years 20, ago sorry, yeah 26 26 years Not ago that old yet so you've become <clears throat> this kind of climber just and, and and working your whole life too. Yeah, you know what? I think it it's actually a good setup because oh, really? I can train in the gym. Uh-huh. I know you don't like gyms. What? Um, <laughs> Where'd you get that idea? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't can, pigeonhole me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I get to train in the gym during mm-hmm. the week uh, or during the summers because the summers in the red suck and winters right. in the red suck. So I can train all winter, train mm-hmm. all summer, and then. You know, in the spring and fall, I can go out and actually try and send some things. So mm. it's actually a pretty good setup. Right. Well, to get kind of frame our relationship, you and I don't know each other. Um, this is the first time we've met actually tonight, which is Correct. cool. I do, you know, I tend to a lot of times bring in people I know pretty well. 
um, which obviously makes my job quite a bit easier. Sure, sure. Um, but you and I corresponded just a little bit. Um, I don't know. It was like six or seven months ago. Oh, it was that long ago. I don't know. I think it was in February or so. So not that long ago. But nevertheless, got in touch with me that you liked the show. Um, I well, do you know we, why? Uh, I can't. Did you tell me? No, I why? didn't tell you why. Oh, go ahead. Because Lisa Hathaway was in the red. Oh, right. And I had liked the Enormacast on Facebook. And when I saw her at the red, she said, I was just talking to Caloose. And he said, Oh, Dub, like the, Orno- the Enormacast Facebook page. Yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. I, I love that stuff. So uh, maybe I'll email that guy and see. Oh, cool. You know. Yeah, no, I, I actually do remember noticing it. So, And that that's kind of the other connection that we have is our good friend Lisa Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually how I first heard your music is that, um, which if I guess not everybody probably knows that you're a rapper and an actual recorded. Right. Uh, I was a rapper well before I was a climber. Right on. So... Oh, that's cool. So, but also I've recorded a bunch of music, which we'll get into in just a minute. So the first time I heard it was through Lisa, and mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah. So when when I saw that you liked the Facebook page, and this was back when you know, and few enough people liked it that I could early really, on really, really keep track. Although it's not yeah, that yeah. many still, but yeah. So I was still got that. Stock. So I appreciate that. And then we correspond a little bit about music. Um, I brought up the the disposable heroes of hypocrisy, which you were excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hear that somebody out there remembered that band you and i that's it. it that's that's pretty much it when i sort of feel that to people they're like who <clears throat> yeah michael fronte yeah mm-hmm. that guy used to be like tough guy rapper dude way before he was dreaded out yeah. peacenik guy so yeah if you're out there and as soon as you're done with the show you got to get on i'm sh- shit it's got to be on itunes right no i don't know anyway dispose uh it's probably on youtube the name of the band is the Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. Right. And what was the name of the album? It was like something about the high camera. Not sure. It doesn't matter. There's only one. Yeah. So check it out. Michael it was short-lived. Fronte. Michael Fronte way before he was, was Peacenik guy. Yeah. So it's actually a badass album. <clears throat> I listen, After we got in touch... I went back and listened to it. So did I. And I was like, man, this shit is pretty good. Like, it's still pretty good. You yeah. Know? Like on some a, oh, go ahead. On, on a total side note of that, I just read an interview with Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. and he talked about Public Enemy, and when he talked Chuck D into recording and being a rapper, mm-hmm. Chuck D's um, Chuck D came to him and said, "I'll only do it if we can not be a rap group. I want to be more like the Clash." Oh, right on! And I just thought that was cool. <laughs> Along that same sort of line. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that kind of rap music is... I, I'm not a huge aficionado. Sure, sure. But, you know, if I if I was forced to kind of name who were some of the some of the artists that I actually listened to enough to kind of recognize, yep. it would go back into <clears throat> that vein in terms of Chuck D and in terms of a lot of the political, a lot of the social, yeah. which yep. was a big part of the Disposable Heroes as yeah. well. Social commentary, and in fact, that's the one thing about that album that's a little bit uh, anachronistic is some of the issues they're talking about. Some of them are universal, some of them are pretty specific. Like, uh, yeah. but you know, in the Clash too, they had sort of at least later in their career had this kind of social message as well. Right. You know, that's the kind of thing that I responded to in terms of of rap music. Mm. And so, as we get into talking about it, I mean, I'm sure your your depth and your background in it is is way deeper. So you can start making fun of me anytime about my lack of 
rap yeah, knowledge. I'll but, do that. Yeah, totally. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, I'd like to kind of get back into into that. You've got a, a kid, and did you grow up in Cincinnati? I did. Okay, so you got a kid growing Born up and in, raised, growing up in Cincinnati. He's a rapper before he's a climber. Yeah, he becomes a climber, break dancer before I was a rapper, rapper then climber. Okay, so yeah. you know. I end up talking to a lot of people, and one of the things I, I usually comment on is that so many of us climbers really have a pretty similar path, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a squirrely <clears throat> kid, usually white middle class, you know, didn't fit into the normal milieu in, in right. high school and found this thing, you know, it's like, I think that's a pretty common story. That's my story, essentially. Sure. Yours sounds like it's a little bit different. So tell me a little bit about growing up in Cincinnati. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I grew up in a neighborhood that was all white, a hundred percent white mm-hmm. and very, very racist white. Really? Um, you know, they're the first black family that tried to move into my neighborhood, got a cross burned in their front yard. And, Let me frame this real quick. You're 39. 39. Yeah. So yeah. this would be middle, late seventies in terms of being a little yeah, kid. Even early 80s. Yeah, in early um, 80s. Even into the early 80s, it was still all white. Since he has that reputation. Parts of it, yeah, yeah definitely. So, anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Um, so I grew up there and realized pretty quickly that I was in this place that uh, was just confined, you mm-hmm. know, and, and a, a neighbor moved in next door um, and he brought with him, he came from New York, brought with him a tape of, I think it was the fat boys was the first rap tape I ever heard. And I was just mesmerized. Like this was totally different from what my parents listened to and everyone else I knew listened to. So I had to, had to learn it, you know? And, and I remember hoarding these tapes. I would find, get these tapes or I would record them from him and, and I would make several copies because I knew when my stepdad or my mom found them, they would confiscate them. You know, like you're not allowed to listen to these. This language is bad in these. And they would take it and then I would just have another copy anyway. Mm-hmm. So we started breakdancing uh, at skating rinks. And and that just led to uh, led to rapping eventually. You know, it, I just got into the hip-hop scene and uh, just led to rapping. So school parties, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that we may have roller skated together together yeah. at what was the name of the place? Castle Skateland. Castle Loveland. Skateland in Loveland because I lived in Loveland from uh, kindergarten to third grade. Right. Which were pretty much my roller skating years. Yeah. So. And I, I probably would have been, a, I definitely would have been around at some point. Mm-hmm. I worked at Castle Skateland later on. I was actually the the chicken during the chicken dance and. Yeah. Nice. It was cool. I, I probably moved, moved away by then. But <laughs> you were gone by yeah, then. Yeah. So, well, <clears throat> you also brought up breakdancing, and it reminds me that uh, one of our family friends that lived there in Loveland with us was also a breakdancer. Hmm. And so this was like the, I mean, that was the era Yeah. when like breakdancing totally hit it. Our, my first concert actually was when I was 14, and it's, it's when I got really into breakdancing. Uh, and sh- right before I started rapping, and it was the Fresh Fest '88, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe I've seen all these guys since, so I might be confusing it. But I believe it was LL Cool J and Run DMC and Houdini, and just this 
enormous cast of a who's who in old school hip hop, mm-hmm. you know, and that was really seeing them on stage and seeing the break dancers was cool. But then I saw when I saw the rappers on stage for the first time, I think that's when it said, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be that guy. So I want to get to the climbing thing in just a minute. But so growing up in this neighborhood, right. And, yep. and putting yourself into this, into this other world that yeah. was predominantly black anyway. Yep. Like how did that go over with, uh, with the neighborhood? Didn't, didn't I mean, go in terms well of friends all. and things like that. Uh, I got a lot of, a lot of shit. Um, I was told I was the next, uh, you know, N word to be kicked out. Sure. And all sorts. I mean, I got in a lot of fights. I right. fought a lot when I was a kid. And, and largely because of that, because I, you know, I didn't know any better. So I acted black. I tried to talk black. Mm-hmm. I tr- dressed black, you know. And it turns out the high school I went to was largely, was eh, probably 50% black. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then it became a little easier. But up until high school, it was. It was it was tough. Yeah, but did you get did you get crap from the other side too? I mean, the, any sort Not of really. like white boy rapper garbage? Not really, no? because I was as good or better than all they oh, were. Okay. So, you know, it and and actually in junior high school when I first kind of let it be known that I was not the the rock and roll white guy. Mhm was uh some guys were practicing for a school talent show in junior high okay. and they were breakdancing. And I approached them and I was like, well, you know, I've got this and I've got this and, you know, check this out. And they were like, whoa, you know, where did you learn all this? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it started. So, sure. so a lot of my friends ended up being um, black guys in high school. Right. So. Okay. I was curious because like, you know, I, I was oblivious to it at that age, mm-hmm. you know, and again, I I didn't live in any any place where there was any sort of. <clears throat> interracial mixing but i know that at least in that time looking back on it that that cincinnati had a little bit of a reputation for sort of it's not south but it's right it's got a lot of sort of that feeling of yeah of uh of conflict yeah between there are definitely the some sides. lines drawn uh-huh, uh that uh-huh. they're blurrier now more sure. blurry now but mm-hmm. but back then in the early 80s they were drawn pretty tightly mm-hmm. so let's uh figure out the climbing thing then <clears throat> What's is this something that came quite a bit later? Or? Uh, yeah, quite a bit later. Um, probably ninety five, I believe. Okay, well, I... let's not get there quite yet, then. Okay. So you went through high school. Yep. And was there a point where you were ever like, I mean, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to no. I'm gonna get in huge fact, or... I in fact I dropped it entirely. Oh, really? Um, and. I was really. I wanted to be an art teacher. That's what I went okay. to college for. Okay. Uh, I had an art teacher who was a a big influence on my life, and thought naively that I could be that same influence for other people. So I went to school to be an art teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't take long to realize that it's a one in a thousand, one in a hundred thousand chance that you're going to be that influence on someone's life. You know. Right. Most kids take art because it's a required course and they just want to get it over with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I abandoned the teaching route, uh, just decided to create. But it all through all that time, I had abandoned rapping entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, what got me started again was driving back and forth to see a girlfriend 
that lived in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And when I would be driving, I would get bored. So I would just play beats and I would rap over the beats while I drove. Mm -hmm. And eventually someone said, who heard me said, oh, you should record this stuff. So that's what got me thinking, oh, maybe I should actually try and write some songs rather Mm -hmm. than just rhyming for the sake of rhyming. And that was probably actually right around the same time I started climbing. Okay. So, yeah, bring us there then. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I was in college, uh, I was bored to death. And I would go back to the neighborhood I grew up in and steal cars uh, around Cincinnati, steal car stereos around Cincinnati. And just for the fun of it, you know, right. I never, yeah, I was going to say like this college kid, just like, just because it was something thrills or something that I, do. yeah, that's exactly what it, was. it wasn't even for thrills. It was because I thought I was good at it and okay. I wanted to be better at it. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I never sold anything. I stole, I would generally return the cars after I joyride for a while, you know? Um, but that's what I was really into for a while. And I got caught Mm -hmm. and ended up being sentenced to four and a half years in prison. Uh, All but six months of it got put on the shelf. Mm -hmm. So I did my six months. And when I got out, uh, while I was actually, while I was in jail, I said to myself, I need to find something to keep me out of trouble. If I keep hanging out with the people I grew up with, I'm going to get in trouble. That's just the way it is. Sure. Uh, and I had been to a climbing gym one time in Cincinnati. And uh, it climbed time. It had opened up. I'd been one time while I was in jail, decided that was cool. That was fun. So that's what I'm going to go do. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got out, I went and bought a year membership and started going to the gym every morning before work and I would just hang out at the gym to keep myself out of trouble. Mm -hmm. So just traverse the walls back and forth by myself. And that's really how I started climbing, to stay out of trouble. Did you? uh, Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a younger brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had two younger brothers. Uh, The youngest died when he was four or five, four. And um, my younger brother now, he's four years younger than I am. Mm Mm-hmm. And we don't really communicate much. He kind of fell into the trap of the neighborhood. Sure. Uh, so we really lead pretty different lives. Uh-huh. But you live right by your grandma. I live right next door to my grandmother. So you now, got some, yeah. some family there then. Yeah, yeah right exactly. On. You're getting out of prison and becoming a climber. Just jail. I didn't... Or sorry. I didn't go all the way to prison because it was only six months. Oh, okay. So. Just jail. All right. Yeah, <laughs> we, what won't, is the we won't talk about what happened in prison. No, yeah. no, no. No, prison's just a longer term Oh, thing. okay. Yeah. Jail's pretty short term. Right. Is it mellower, do you think? Uh, I don't know. I can't compare it. Okay. Well, couldn't say. Anyway. So you get out of jail and you decide to become this climber. <laughs> what else was going on in your life at that point? Mm, trying to keep out of trouble. That right. was really it. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, you know, I just had that epiphany while I was in there locked up that this really isn't what I want to do with my life. Right. You know? So that was really it. Every day was struggle to stay out of trouble. That was it. I had to basically abandon all the people I'd grown up with and all my friends um, that I'd known since I was a little kid, basically abandon them to become someone different. Uh 
So that was really all that was going through my head was stay out of trouble. Don't go back. Don't go back. And you found <clears throat> something obviously inspiring in, in climbing. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd always been drawn to things outside the neighborhood because uh, just like hip hop drew me in, my neighborhood was really, uh, I don't even know what to call it. People who grew up there don't leave there. Sure. You know, they, they stay there forever. And strangely enough, I'm back there now next door to my grandma. But, uh, <laughs> but when I was younger, I would walk down the railroad tracks outside the neighborhood and there was a gymnastics facility a uh, mile down the tracks or so. And I would go in and watch. And eventually I saved up some money from working and went and took a class inside the gymnastics facility, a tumbling class. And eventually it came to the point where I was teaching a tumbling class inside the, the gymnastics facility at Queen City Gymnastics. And uh, so that was a, a good outlet for me for a while. And then once I got older, climbing became that same outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, gymnastics kept me out of trouble for a little while, as long as I could afford it which is a ridiculously expensive sport. Um, climbing, however, is not so expensive, and that became that became the real way. And what was your path sort of through climbing in terms of you started out in the gym? Uh, how quickly did you start thinking about climbing outdoors and those sorts of things? Uh, and, 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 you know, and another question, did you, with that community, I mean, did you start to meet people right away? Did you have oh, yeah. a mentor? Did you have anybody that, yeah, actually, that sort of filled um, those shoes? several mentors along the road um the first guy was definitely uh he was i believe he grew up climbing in minnesota um i know he did some things at devil's lake Mm -hmm. um his name was chris eckland and uh he was mentioned in john sherman's stones of years book which i thought was the coolest thing on the planet, you right. know, that there was this rock climber working at the gym in Cincinnati who was in this book, you know, sure. I just thought it was super cool. So I would go in and talk to him all the time. And, and he kind of took me under his wing and helped me learn how to climb a little bit. And, and I responded fairly well because I had been doing gymnastics and I had tumbled almost all my life. There was a mattress factory in my neighborhood and we would steal mattresses and line them up and learn how to tumble, you know? So, so it was just a, I had an awareness about my body that, that climbing came, uh, somewhat quickly Mm -hmm. and he, he recognized that and kind of took me under his wing and, and, uh, he suggested that I get outdoors pretty quickly. He sold me my first set of quick draws and, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember calling him, I was at work one day at a pizza place and I called him and, you know, I've been thinking about this and, when you get to the top of a sport route, how do you get back down? Do you always have to leave something at the top to get mm-hmm. back down? You know, I didn't realize there were set up anchors that you could lower sure. through or wrap down or whatever. I didn't have a clue, right? You know, but I was thinking about these things, and and the Red River is only two and a half hours away. So. Sure. So what? <clears throat> give me a time frame of this. What what years were this when you first started? Uh, I started ninety five, uh-huh. I believe. I believe it was April of ninety five. Right. And um within that first year I was I had gone outside for okay. the first time. So that puts you like in your early mid twenties. Yeah. Yep. Twenty one, twenty two. Yep. Yeah. That's really in, uh, interesting to me because <clears throat> the reason I just asked that is because the way you were just sort of talking about it, like 
I don't know. This is going to sound kind of weird, but whatever. But it was like really childlike the yeah, way you just yeah. were like, exactly. You know, at twenty one, maybe it's maybe like the most egotistical time of your life. Yeah. You know, I, I always told my older students when I was teaching high school that like eighteen or you know nineteen twenty, it's like it's where the difference between what you think you know oh, yeah, and what you, you actually you know, know is the widest. Yeah, like yeah, it's when it's the biggest gap. Mm-hmm. Because you think you know everything and you don't know shit. Uh, yeah. Ten years later, you start you still to realize think you know everything. Yeah, but you, <laughs> you know, it's like you also start to realize you don't. There's some shit you don't know. Right. But so to have a guy who's 21 years old, you know, to be that sort of open about like I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> I think I think most people would have just gone out there and eh, I'll figure it out. Well, it know? was largely so, because it was totally awesome. It was largely because I had. Figured it out on my own and gone to jail because of it. Mm. You know, I knew I needed to start over. I knew I needed somebody else's perspective. I needed some other things in my life, and mm. I didn't know where to go for that. Sure, you know, no one in my neighborhood left my neighborhood, so I have to just open myself up and see what happens. Did he explain how to tie through over the phone? Um, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was this epiphany, like, oh, I can go out and not have to leave a carabiner at the right. top of every route I climb. Right, it's amazing. Yeah, now in rifle, you don't even have to. Exactly, you don't even have to think about right. it. Right, it's perfect. In <laughs> <laughs> the red too. So. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to do when I have to hang draws anymore. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is, is you know, I've been watching you hang out with some younger climbers that are that came with you on this road trip, mm-hmm. and. You know, I want to get to the rapping thing where that comes back in in just a second. But I wanted to ask you about this arc of of your climbing here in Cincinnati. I mean, clearly, you've you stuck with it for what sounds like what about twenty years now. I quit for a few years when okay. I when I really started focusing on music again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I I was still part of the community even when I wasn't climbing much. Mm-hmm. Feels like <clears throat> you've ended up. You know, what was this guy's name from Minnesota you just mentioned? Chris Eklund. Yeah. It feels like you've almost ended up uh, filling his shoes for some other younger climbers. And I was wondering if that was something you did consciously or am I off base by like in the few minutes that I've known you now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember thinking, I remember consciously thinking that I wanted to be for somebody what some of these guys have been for me. Mm -hmm. I pretty quickly got into trad climbing in the mm-hmm. red and there were a couple trad climbers that really stood out as the big developers in the red you know, okay. tom souders jeff keenig uh john bernal i really looked up to these guys mm-hmm. and and because it's such a tiny community which is one of the most amazing things about climbing um you know i got to climb with these guys and i got to meet these guys and and really talk to them and and I wanted to be that for somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought it was amazing to be able to, um, for lack of a better word, idolize someone and then get to spend time doing that thing with them that that they did that made you think they were so important. Right. You know? um, so I wanted to be that for someone else. And, and I couldn't, I guess you can't really consciously go into that thinking I want to be an idol, you know, or sure. something like that. But you can put yourself on that path where you're you're trying to do positive things mm-hmm. and you're trying to better yourself and then you know, then maybe people will catch on. Maybe somebody will like what you're doing, I guess. Sure. 
Well, we we were talking a little bit earlier about how you had never climbed an Eldo, and I I mentioned that I started climbing there. Yep. And along those lines, like, I remember some, you know, we were bumbling around there, clearly an accident waiting to go happen somewhere on some climb somewhere. of course. And some guys, you know, this is Boulder, so you had some guys that would in some way show their disdain for our gumbiness. Yeah, yeah. You how however they did it, you know, with the, the look or the the shoulder or the whatever. And then there was some guys who were like if not genuinely, they at least were like, "Hey, what are you guys going to do?" And you guys got this gear and that gear because this part's going to be hard and you want to, you know, I really remember feeling this dichotomy between the super snob boulder climber guy and the dude that was like going to, you know, Realize our position mm-hmm. and remember that he was there at one point. Yeah, I mean, I just remember those two things. And as I've gotten older and climbing, again, it's not like a conscious thing. I've, I'm like re- looking for someone to mentor. Hey, right, fella. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, get away from me, sir. <laughs> no, no, seriously, let's go on a road trip together. <laughs> but you're putting out wanted ads right. in the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> going to make a young boy joke, but uh, let's keep it on that level here. Yeah, but no, yeah, no, I mean, no. You know, but you can just be that guy that's like just even sort of cool. Like you don't have to go over the top, but be aware that like if you're going to be a snot to some younger climber, like when you read your bro's name in this book, I mean, these little things can be this huge impression on somebody. Yeah, yeah. And just being a dick for one minute could be something where 10 years later – they're like, yeah, that guy, I remember that guy. He was a total dick to me. Well, I can definitely be a dick for a minute. Yeah, I know you can. <laughs> there's, no, there's no question about yeah. that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can be a dick. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. I think we'll get right into that then. But anyway, I, you know, going back to that, it's like I just feel like there's – whether you've been that way all the time, but you seem as though at this moment you've arrived in this place where, you know – I'm like, in a happy place. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. So it's good. And no, well, that was actually, I was going to ask you one other question about this era is, is, did you stay out of trouble? I did. Okay. I did. I stayed totally out of trouble and, and all's good. All right. I have no pending cases, nothing. <laughs> I'm good. Everything's cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. You've had it all taken care of. Yeah. One way or another. Happy place. All right. Good. All right. Let me ask you about the music then. Mm-hmm. Because again, I think if anybody knows your name and you've got the 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 handle, the handle, the MC, O-dub. the handle. O-dub. Yeah. Okay. Which I'll ask you in a second where that comes from. But let me start this again. So let me ask you about the music. You were a rapper. You gave it up for a certain amount of time. Then mm-hmm. it comes back. Then you become a climber. I think anybody who outside of sort of the Cincinnati scene or whatever will primarily know you for this. That you've, yes. you've made these, like, climbing rap songs. Yeah. Okay. And published them. They're on the internet. You can find them easily. Check mm-hmm. them out. Um, so let me ask you about that. How does that arise again in sort of your your uh, artistic output? Uh, how did I come about to, to do these climbing raps? Is that yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. like it came back to you. Well, I was, I was recording in this studio mm-hmm. uh, in Cincinnati called Power Blast Studios. Mm-hmm. It was a cool old building, cool old bank building, and the, the recording booth was in the vault of mm-hmm. the bank, so it was really cool. But uh, I was, I decided I was going to make this joking song about Offwitz, 
Uh, my my old climbing partner Ray Ellington and I would always we listened to gangster rap when we were going to climb off with you know and we would make up our own lyrics to these gangster rap songs and oftentimes they were you know talking trash about sport climbers mm -hmm. so that's what I wanted to do I wanted to talk about how much cooler off with climbing was sure. than sport climbing and um, so I made this song about off with climbing and I recorded it in the studio and. I had recorded quite a bit with the, the engineer there, so he wasn't going to question it. <laughs> but unbeknownst to me, while I'm in the booth, a couple guys come in who are waiting for their session, and they're all, you know, gangstered out guys. And, sure. And when I come out of the booth, they're just looking at me all kinds of crazy, like, you know, off width. <laughs> and I'm just like, don't ask, you know. And, uh, so I, I run into these guys and the engineer at the time starts picking up on it as well. Over the next several weeks, they start you they start calling me off with first of all, mm -hmm. and they're using the term off with as like off the chain or off the hook. You know, they're like, "Oh, that shit was off with." <laughs> you <know>? so, <laughs> so that's where it, that's where it came from. That's where. It started, and that's where the name came from. They were calling me Off With, and they shortened it to O-Dub. Ah, oh, got it. Yeah. So, Shit, I never yeah. connected that. Yeah. And O-Dub and Off With. Yeah. O-W. Was, it was given by some gangstered-out guys in Cincinnati, yeah. All right. In the parlance of the times, that's legit. For sure. <laughs> totally. <laughs> to all those who know, the sport climbing is neither. Up high to slot the first jam Kick your feet and crack the foot above your hands Then you shuffle your legs You sit up in the room So much back breaking work for just an inch to move Your fist jams, lips damn It's too wide, it's not working No familiar face holds Still your brain keeps searching It's a failing debate You can't wait to get off this Bitch, welcome to Off With Say it's not appealing We all know that's nonsense So that was your first tune That was the first climbing song First climbing song, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a joke, total right, joke. Right. But it kind of took on this life of its own, mm -hmm. you know. And and then I was like, oh, this is fun. I should make right. more of these. Well, how did it get out there? You just oh, I played it, it for your friends. I put it straight on the internet. Oh, right on. Know? Yeah. And and I guess the internet was still. I mean, the internet wasn't new, but but sharing things via the internet was mm -hmm. still fairly new. But there was a a pretty active message board uh, for the Red River. Okay. Um, I think at the time it was KentuckyWilderness.com, and all mm -hmm. the Red River climbers would go there and talk trash. And, mm -hmm. and I believe that's where I put it first. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it just spread from there. Mm -hmm. And I don't even remember exactly where it went from there, but it just got out. Mm -hmm. You know. And as I made more, put them on the internet, it eventually got picked up by Chris McNamara, heard it. And loved it and put it on Super Topo. Okay. And that's when it really exploded. Right. Right. And so you're in this, you're, you're writing this tune, at least this one and other ones, you know, and you've got this kind of battle rap attitude, this sort of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. you said, making fun angry of sport youth. climbing, yeah. angry youth kind of thing. So I can only imagine that um, having been the subject of, of the exact same issue with the infamous aid rant. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine that not everyone's response to your uh, off with or any of the other stuff was po entirely 100% positive. Yeah, it definitely wasn't. But but I wasn't new to that. 
I mean, I was, I thought I was this ethical stronghold, you know, sure. from the days of old. Where, okay. And I was this trad climber who had real ethics and, you know, it was a bunch of bullshit, really. It mm -hmm. was, it was me being young and stupid. Um, but I would talk it all I could, you know, mm -hmm. I would, I would talk trash all the time. So I wasn't new to people, you know, saying their piece about what I sure. was saying. So it just felt like it was just another step, another logical part of the logical progression. Well, that's, that's <clears throat> really interesting because what I know of you, I associate with sport climbing. That's because it's pretty much all I do now. <laughs> <laughs> we all grow old, don't we? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, again, I only know I know you from uh, as a person. I only know you through through Lisa, really. Mm -hmm. And you know, Lisa's pretty much a sport climber, <clears throat> boulderer, and so. And I know that's kind of this time you guys have spent together in terms of that as as sport climbing. And right. so that I had no idea that you had this past as like a dyed in the wool like monster tratty. Oh, that's all. I hated bolts. I hated sport climbers. I hated bolts. So. It, yeah. Well, how did that evolve Stupid. from <clears throat> where did you take that turn coming out of the gym originally wondering how you lower <laughs> off the top of a sport route? Like, well, where, where did you let, let me say this? I can only imagine that in a lot of ways being who you were. And, uh, you know, I'm, I like to do pop psychology. So just yeah, go yeah. along with me here. You know, you've got this kid who had to throw elbows when he was younger Mm -hmm. Living in that neighborhood, being into what you were into, so you know, did you find this like, okay, I can beat this guy, <clears throat> and here's my new thing I can counter on? I didn't just find it; it was pretty much given to me. Mm -hmm. um, I blame it all on Ray Ellington, who's the author of the Red River Guidebook now. Okay, uh, so all of you who buy his book, blame it on him. Okay, um, basically, I was a sport climber, a gym climber. Ray uh, was from Cincinnati. Uh, he starts coming to the gym, and he's a tratty. Okay. And he had been living out in Zion and doing walls out in Zion. And uh, I went out to the red one day. The, the day I did my first 512, um, I also led my first trad pitch. And it was with Ray, who at the time was drunk and, you know, said... I'll lead the first pitch of this. You can follow me so you can see how the gear looks, and then you can lead the second pitch. It was mm -hmm. just a you know, five seven roadside attraction, super classic climb. Well, Ray solos the first pitch, hands me the rack at the top of it, and says, you know, go ahead. And I'm like, I don't know how any of this works. You know, what do I do? And he's like, if you put it in and it doesn't fall out, it's fine. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I climbed it, and it just seemed cooler, you know. And listening to him talk about his projects, mm -hmm. you know, these five tens that were impossible sounded so much cooler than, than, you know, wearing verve and mm -hmm. being a sport climber. Sure. Just sounded harder. Right. So that's what I wanted to do. And then I stopped. I didn't clip another bolt for probably eight years. After so, that day. After or that day. Literally like just that quit. was it. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with sport climbing. Wow. And the way we discovered off with was also similar. Ray had read something, a Steve Petro article, mm -hmm. talking about how Offwith was hated and disliked, and and Ray was like, "Well, we have to climb Offwith," mm -hmm. and I was like, "Let's do it." So, 
we just went out seeking out the things that were most hated, I think. Right. I mean, that's just the thing. It's like you, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you live in this like huge sport climbing area and you yeah. become a track climber. And then even within track climbing, you find like the most esoteric part of it and dedicate yeah. yourself to that. Latched on. Like it seems as yeah. though, you know, again, there seems to be a little psychology here at work. Of of a trend. <laughs> oh, no doubt. When I when I first read about John Backer and Ron Kalk fighting in the parking lot of Camp Four sure. over bolts, I felt like I was there. Like like I was gonna hit Backer for Kalk, you know. Uh huh. I don't know. Messed up. No, it's I mean, <laughs> like I said, I, I I I'm I'm glad that you've arrived in this other place. Mm-hmm. Happy um, place. And and again, uh, you know, meeting you tonight is all I know of you. So it's fascinating to hear this arc that you've been through in terms of, or you're going through, who knows? Maybe. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I may end up an ice climber. I don't know. Exactly. Well. I hope not. No, it's way too popular now for you. <laughs> way too popular. You'll have to find something new, <clears throat> yeah. something different. But, um, well, let's talk about that because, I mean, we might as well talk about it then too. You mentioned, oh, I can be a dick. Mm-hmm. And uh, these songs that you've made. have been known to be. Over the years. And I just sort of like dipped in to taste a little of the controversy, but many of them, yeah. I mean, you've called a lot of people out by name, and a lot of it's funny. A lot of it's pretty much, you know, you're calling some shit out on some people. You know, I was just calling it how I saw it, right? And and I just felt like climbers weren't being held to the standard they should be. I guess, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, here they are. They want to make a living being role models, then they should act like role models right. and not bitch and whine about it. Sure, you know. And and if they fuck up, they need to be called out. Sure, on it. that's just how I felt. Right. Well, I mean, I'll go ahead and, and call it. I mean, specifically, you've got a tune about uh, Dean Potter solo in the yeah. Arch. Yeah, there was a <clears throat> blowback from what his legal team. Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, yeah, lawyer. To which point you you threw up another one. Yeah. And uh, I suppose you haven't heard anything back from that one. Actually, I did. Okay. Um, it was quite a while after. And I've never told anyone publicly about this. Okay. A few of my friends know. I got a phone call well, randomly. You're telling people publicly right now. I'm aware. Okay, good. <laughs> not not everybody gets the whole mic goes on the internet thing. So. Yeah, yeah. But you're, you're obviously um, well-versed yeah, in it. So. I know how it works. <laughs> I'll just let you go. <laughs> um, I actually got a random call um, several months afterward from the, the attorney. And he said, hey, I just want you to know uh, I'm no longer involved with Dean or any of anything that's going on with him. Mm-hmm. But I want you to know that I really like the last song. Oh. <laughs> really? And that was it. He, for some reason, he wanted me to know. And right. I don't know what that was all about. Right. I never heard anything right. more. But right. but it was fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, to, to catch people up, Dean Potter soloed the Delicate Arch, uh, put a video up of it um, in, in, in Arches. And uh, basically, it's <clears throat> illegal to climb on it. And... It blew up. To make a long story short, he was less than apologetic. It went. Um, I happen to know it went all the way to the undersecretary um, of the interior, not quite to the secretary, and you know almost got climbing banned in in arches. And right. actually, it's still pretty shaky in arches. So, um, well, what a lot of people don't know is that 
I didn't actually release that song just to, you know, get under Dean's skin or mm-hmm. something. What happened was I had recorded that song quite a while before. Mm-hmm. And originally the song was going to be ripping on a couple of climbers who were doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. I actually called Kurt Smith and said, hey, who else can I rip on for doing dumb shit? You know, and he's like, I, you know, I can't think of anybody that's at that level. <laughs> so, <clears throat> All right, well, it's going to be you then, Mr. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been at some point. <laughs> There's a few times yeah. in his story yeah. career. Uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, and so I made the whole song about Dean. And then I didn't release it for a long time. And then on Super Topo, I saw that uh, they were working on the Arches uh, climbing management plan. Mm-hmm. And they needed climbers to weigh in. And they had said, you know, ATV riders have weighed in this amount and climbers have only mm-hmm. weighed in this amount. And I thought, well, if I put this song out there and I put a link to this uh, climbing management plan where climbers can go... Mm-hmm. comment maybe they'll get some more you know climbers going there mm-hmm. so that's what i did i put it on super topo and with that in mind mm-hmm. but then it uh, you know took a life of its own at that point and just blew up so right it, and and within a few days i had gotten this cease and desist letter from mm-hmm. from dean potter's attorney okay so. and what's it called uh not all roses it's not all just roses, Grandpa. I ain't got a problem with self-promotion. I just think the hypocrisy's overflowing. Why can't we be spiritual and peaceful? But still acknowledge that we're driven by ego. I'm truly amazed by the things that you do. But two days later, it's all over YouTube. Doesn't that conflict with your philosophies? You keep preaching it. That's what's bothering me. Hi, me again. Yesterday, I soloed heaven. Not alone, silly, with my camera crew present. Let me clear it up about this arch business. All the people filming me were really close friends I was just sharing something beautiful with them I never thought it would cause such a problem I only did it to commune with nature One proof is obvious in the video I sent to the news This is not your grandma's Is that something that's sort of st- still something important to you That we get, you know, <clears throat> just that we get out there And, and sort of uh, censor our own community in that sense? Um to a degree, mm-hmm. I think what attracted me to Dean. Um, now, don't get me wrong; I think Dean is an amazing climber, mm-hmm. and I think the things that he does are insane. And it's great that he pushes the sport in the directions he does. But when I read an interview with Dean and he complains about, you know, having sponsors and having to deal with sponsors mm-hmm. and all of this, I'm just like, shut the hell up, you know. You're living this life that every climber wants to live. Mm-hmm. You chose it. You can go work at a bar if you want to. You know, you can go wait tables or bus tables or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can do those things if you choose. You, you've chosen this life, so don't bitch about it. Right. And that's what that's what really got me irritated about Dean was sure. he just openly said all these. He complained a lot about being a professional climber. Sure. And and that just irked the hell out of right. me. Right. <laughs> well, it irks the hell out of me too. Am I getting visibly irked here? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I I've had the same conversation just that whole idea, yeah, that <clears throat> well, I always joke about the climbing for yourself thing. Like, yeah. I only climb for myself. Right, right. It's like 
Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, none of us do. No. Like, we climb for our bros. We climb for <clears throat> our egos. There's we ego climb. involved yeah. every time right. you tie in, right. period. And so, and if you're a sponsored climber, you're climbing for your, for your sponsors at least part of the time. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, and it's cool. It's always in the back of your mind, at yeah. least. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> the first tune I heard by you, because Lisa played it for me, mm-hmm. was She's on Fire. Lisa's favorite yeah, yeah lisa's favorite um and that one i you know you were just saying a couple people in that one got a little, little upset but <laughs> that one i mean that's just good plain fun yeah, yeah total fun yeah total fun there are a lot of beautiful women who rock climb mm-hmm. and and boys are stupid i mean guys act like idiots out at the crag mm-hmm. so i just wanted to let the girls know that's all all right in my own stupid way <laughs> Katie Brown, I see you around. I remember when you weighed about 82 pounds. Then you called me up for an interview. Checking you out, kind of into you. Just staring, couldn't concentrate. Damn, you gained weight in all the right places. Let's face it, you got it. 100% bona fide hottie. She's burning hot, she's burning hot, she's on fire. She's burning hot, she's burning hot, on fire. All right, let's move on to talking about some of your tributes. Okay. Um, you sent me a video, um, and I'll probably, uh, I'll for sure um, link it on my site to your video uh, float yep. that you did with Misty Murphy. Right. And uh, can you tell me about a little bit about that project? Yeah. Um, I met Misty on MySpace, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't even know if Misty knows this, but I had kind of checked her out on MySpace and I was like, oh that chick's kinda hot, you know. And then I, I see think she her knows she's hot. And then I see her picture in a climbing magazine mm-hmm. and I'm like, wait a minute. You know, there can't be two Misty Murphys. This girl climbs, you know? So I went back to her MySpace page and there sure enough there are climbing photos. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, how did I miss that the first time? And then I message her and say, we should do some music together. And I had listened to some of her music and one line in particular, or one uh, one part in particular that ended up becoming the the hook mm-hmm. for Float uh, really caught me, and it caught me because of a conversation I had had with an artist uh, several months before, uh, maybe even a couple of years before, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I was in an airport not long after Todd, uh, Todd passed away, Todd Skinner, and I saw a magazine, I believe it was Men's Journal, and the cover said Death of the World's Best Rock Climber. And I thought, well, I gotta read this, you know, I'm sure it's ridiculous. So I pick up the magazine, I read it, and I'm right, it's a ridiculous article written by an obvious non climber who doesn't really know what they're talking about. But when I open the magazine up, the cover page of the article is a painting of Todd falling and his harness is broken in the painting. Mm -hmm. And I immediately was horrified, you know, like this is in terrible taste. I can't believe someone would publish this. But as an artist, I thought, well, the painting is really well executed. So I, 
decided to reserve judgment a little bit, took it to an artist friend of mine and said, what do you think of this? Here's the brief background story. What do you think of this painting? And his first response was, he's not falling, he's floating. And I looked at it again and thought, you know what, you're right, he is. He's floating, he's not falling at all. Mm -hmm. And then when I heard this this part of the song by Misty Murphy, I thought I have to do something with this song because it it's talking about that painting. And uh, so I sampled that piece of her song, um, made the very first iteration of Float, emailed it to Misty, and she added to it and made it 10 times better. I added more, sent it back. She added more, sent it back. and And the song was born that way. Uh, Misty and I actually met the day we performed it in Lander for uh, Amy Skinner was there. The kids were there, Mm -hmm. all of Lander's there. And we met that morning before we performed it for the first time. Um, So it was a big, big moment for us and a, Mm -hmm. and a, a, a big song for me. And, you know, it's, it's actually permeated quite a bit of my life. That song has at this point. did you guys uh, make the video? Uh, The video came a few years later after I became friends with the Skinner family Mm -hmm. and the Skinner kids. And, um, and I met uh, my girlfriend, my current girlfriend, uh, Annalisa. I met her through the Skinner. She was the nanny for the Skinner kids uh, when Todd died. And I met her through Amy Skinner at one of the climbers festivals in Lander. And I just realized that, you know, Todd was this, not only an inspiration to me as a climber, but by talking to Annalisa, I realized that he had inspired her to travel to these far-flung places on the planet, not as a climber, because she didn't climb and couldn't care less about him as a climber. Uh, He was just this adventurous soul to her. And so Todd as a person had inspired her, and I thought it was interesting that I hadn't even thought of him as a human being so much as just a climbing icon. And I wanted to show a little bit that these people are, these climbing icons are actually people, you know, and they inspire other people on the same scale as they do climbers because of their personalities. And that's who they are. So had you had sort of a deep connection to Todd as sort of an inspiration before that? Uh, I never met Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never met, and but I had come across his name in Vitavu quite a bit. I had spent a lot of time in Vitavu, 
climbing off with and learning to climb off with. And um, I had just come across his name so much out there and reading the stories about, you know, Todd and Paul in the South Bay and just the adventures these guys went on, you know, it was, they just seemed, they seemed like the, the ultimate thing uh, to me. So he was just, I always just thought of him as this phantom mentor. If I wanted to try as hard as that guy did. All right. Well, let me ask you then one more about the, uh, your other uh, tribute that you did with Misty mm-hmm. um, for John Backer. Yep. Um, tell me that it's kind of an interesting concept <clears throat> of how, how you ended up producing that one. Well, I don't know if you even know the whole story. Um, I was at the outdoor retailer mm-hmm. and I was performing uh, at the climber's zone, like right around the rock and ice uh, booth, I guess. And, uh, I look over and there's this cute girl over here and she's obviously enjoying the performance. So I'm kind of directing my, you know, my best lines of the songs to her. And then the next time I turn toward her, John Backer's standing with her and I'm instantly like, Oh God, <laughs> I'd never met the guy, but he was obviously, you know, a huge, huge thing for me as a track climber to see John Backer standing there st- stone faced not smiling i couldn't he didn't seem to be enjoying a second of it Mm -hmm. and i was just like oh hell no so i'm trying hard to make the guy crack a smile you know and finally the last song he laughs openly laughs out loud you know one of the jokes in the song and uh there were a bunch of people around and i was talking to people after the show i didn't get to go talk to this girl or to john and uh, later that night at a party, the girl walks in, and I'm talking to her, and she says, hey, John really liked your show. I don't remember how we connected, but uh, she ended up talking to John afterward, after the party. Christina Pilo is the girl, and she, she told me that John had offered to play saxophone in a song for me. She told me this later on, and uh, I never got to take him up on it, you know, shortly before he passed away, and... So what I did is I found a sample, uh, a video of John playing sax and sampled it and made this song uh, in tribute to John. Um, Just about, you know, John's his own, he was his own guy, you know, followed his own beat and that's, that's who he was. So that's where the song came about and it was, you know, I never got to take him up on his offer while he was living. So it, it would meant a lot to me to, be able to take him up on it afterward. And I performed it at the outdoor retailer and Christina was there mm-hmm. and she was on the, the Acopa team. Okay. Um, and she was one of the athletes that he personally kind of took under his wing. So I think it meant a lot to her too, to see it happen. So it was a, a, a special moment for me for sure. Streets that the average man can't even set his feet in So he goes forth, forges his own way Reward if you could follow him for a day But not a man on earth can match his movement Talks big, knows he can prove it Rubs a few people the wrong way Same sheep who can't see any past today And even though it makes the most of you cringe He goes up alone, that's who he is You're heading out of here from uh, from Colorado up to Lander. We're going to see each other at the at the uh, Climbers Fest in a couple yeah. weeks. Yep, can't wait. 
hanging out up there with the with the family away from home now yeah. that you're uh dating a gal that that grew up up there yeah so that's pretty cool it is it's it's made it a not only just a super easy climbing trip for me that i can't mm-hmm. say no to but but you know it's just a cool place lander's just it's a big giant climbing family you know the people are cool that's that's really all there is to well it. i mean it's like it's pretty opposite land from cincinnati exactly opposite right? land <laughs> exactly yeah. opposite yeah. Land. polar I mean, opposite big city you know small tiny climbing tiny community. little town yeah cowboy bar right yeah so love it that's told that's that's pretty cool yeah I, I, i've been up to the festival uh this will be my third year in a row so it's a it's a good time up there um so first of all i just want to thank you for coming in here because oh. uh again i just it's an interesting story to me when when there's somebody that's a little bit out of the frame and that's definitely you yeah your career the climbing rapper thing you know as odd as it sounds you know it's like you make it work and uh and besides that you're a damn good climber so it's not like it's just window dressing you know well thanks for having me man it's uh you know to be truthful between you know your aid climbing rant online and and randy levitt's letter to either climbing or rock and ice where he was you know not to not to bring up old old battles but he called out louis anderson for Mm -hmm. something years ago you know um you know, those are two things that kept me inspired to call people out. So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, I've softened too. So thanks, Chris. I've softened up. That a That happens little bit with well. age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Older and smarter yeah. and softer. I, I, I actually, since since this thing got a little bit big, and it's very little but big, big enough to take a lot of my time. Like, I my my forum posting has like died off to where actually i've gotten <laughs> yeah. i've gotten some complaints yeah. from people yeah. like hey dude where have you been like yep. where's your shit we need to hear this stuff out there but i just don't have time to be trolling out there yeah you know it's same a here difficult, I, so. I don't get the post on the forum so much <laughs> it's probably for our mental health it's probably better though my yeah. friend yeah so um but again, thanks for coming out, and we're going to close with uh, with a piece that you wrote. So tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll hit it. Okay. And let's um, um, wait for the uh, whatever. They can't hear the you emergency guys can't hear services. The emergency services outside. Yeah. I hope it's not Taylor and Sarah out there. <laughs> in, your, in your element. Drunk and crashing in my car, yeah. Not that I think I'm they're really worried about my car. Based on my calculations, they're <laughs> going away from downtown. That's good. So you should be good. All right. All right. Um Basically, after the first year that I went to Lander uh, and performed Float, uh, they invited me back for the the next festival. And becoming friends with the Skinner family uh, and just being inspired in general by uh, Todd and Paul and uh, Steve Bechtel and BJ Tilden and all those guys out there who are, you know, they embody what, what we all hear about Todd. You know, they're just the the f- absolute friendliest people you'll ever meet they're totally willing to give up their day to take you around and show you around and i just wanted to give them something uh of mine and so i wrote uh, a traditional style cowboy poem using uh lander route names um so really the credit goes to todd and paul and you know all the other guys who developed around lander that kept with this cowboy theme for years and years 
because I just really pilfered all the names and turned them into a story. Uh, and I think there are about 140 route names in this poem. <clears throat> uh, so here it goes. This here's a story about the cowboy king and the two kinds of justice the western front brings. He wore an atomic Stetson, a heart full of ghosts, in love with an Arizona cowgirl named Wind River Rose. He had a strong addiction to burnt beans and coffee, horse-whipped and hog-tied anybody that crossed him. They say the devil wears spurs, and spurs equal velocity, and he'd never been caught by a posse, so possibly he was of the devil's herd, whips, chaps, and chains. Or maybe his skills were just honed on the range. He rode an iron horse with twisted heart and snarled lip, and the guns of Diablo were holstered at his hip. Sat on a hand-tooled saddle, Mr. Majestic on the throne, hell-bent for the horizon, for he had no home sweet home. He kept a saucer full of secrets, a mask without a face. His only friends in this forsaken land were wind and rattlesnakes. He'd galloped full tilt through a month-long losing streak, on a busload of faith that the next would be his week. Till he came upon a table, Buckskin Billy and Pistol Pete, Nine Horse Johnson, Poker Face Alice, and the brave cowboy took a seat. This seemed to be the gathering of the righteous and the wicked, where the last man standing would have the chance to punch his ticket. In this game, you never sit with your back to the door, but he relied on Bobcat logic, took a slug of the old what for, anted up and drew a hand from the stacked deck that held his fate, but he knew his victory would be bittersweet for he stared at aces and eights. You ain't Bill Hickok, he told himself inside his head. There's two types of people here, the quick and the dead. They had awakened sleeping thunder, the dealer sweating bullets, pocket derringer in his boot, but he had no chance to pull it. Now only the good die young, and Lord have mercy on the rest. And this table of genetic drifters put his hair trigger to test. He raised his nickel Winchester, the suicide king collected his pot. This was the day the earth died screaming from the rapid-fire shots. The king of fools fell to his knees, throwing the hand toward the light. The smoke shapes rose up behind him, the hangman in the night. He whispered, give my love to Rose, as he made his exodus from this land. Standing over him was the shootist, Winchester pump in her trembling hands. Every gun sings its own song, and this one sang of wealth. For the last man standing, the cowboy killer, was Wind River Rose herself. Beneath the harvest moon, in a cold October sky, the winds of war were blowing, Stormbringer on the ride. This ghost rider was a slave to history, carried a vision of a kiss, rode with whip and spur and wild horses, his steed painted orange for anguish. Lonesome cowboy back in the saddle, outlaws on the run, there were no seats in hell, and heaven can wait till vengeance is done. You see, he wasn't merely mortal, no slave to the stronghold of decay. Cloud Walker, the great deceiver, and now he stalks his tender prey. She's an American beauty, seemed to be waiting on a friend. Regret for a long-ago black Sunday, a beautiful life left to the wind. Now even cowgirls get the blues, and some like another chance. Maybe in the next world for in this life she's doomed to a ghost dance. She had the world on a string, but she went off half-cocked. The crooked darling now hears a cry for help in the memory of the shots. As she sits in the wicked garden, no more heroes, no more joy, thinking, 
When I was a young girl, I had me a cowboy. Tilts her head back for the moonshine, already whiskey drunk it slurred her speech. The bravery of being out of range has vanished. She's within the dead man's reach. The storm of the century is upon her. The claim jumper lies unforgiven. Lonely are the brave, especially those who are still living. As she climbed the hanging tree, a wave of mutilation hit her. Say hello to Geronimo, he whispered, as he gently squeezed the trigger. Vengeance was swift and painless. In this game, the dealer calls. Saddled up on white lightning as he watched his one love fall. We all know there lies a thin line between heroes and ghosts. And as he rode away, the cowboy king said for the last time, Adi God dang yos.